Good morning. The singing here is awesome. Fills my soul. You should come, come to both services. You get to do it twice. I, I've, uh, I've loved it. I'm filled, I'm filled every time. What a blessing that you have these men who have this capability, and not only that, but who reach out during the week and say, what are you preaching about? What are you bringing? I want to pick songs that are in accord with that, and I think it makes a really powerful time of worship together. So thank you to Don this morning and for all those who, who do this ministry. You, you probably remember the phrase, it was one I heard a lot as a kid, you are what you eat. Uh, that, I heard it all the time as a kid, Just eating a bunch of candy after Halloween. My mom, you are what you eat. And I... I didn't understand what it meant. As a boy, I thought, I, if I eat too many Cheetos, I'll, I'm going to start to look like one. And I certainly didn't want that because that's, that's one of the ugliest chips that there is. But the older that I get and the more that I think on it, there is a profound truth in that. You are what you eat. And what it means is what you put into your life You'll become that. When I was a teenager, I remember telling my dad, don't worry about the lyrics. I, I don't care about the lyrics. I like the sound. I just like the beat. And I never understood why he said to me, I don't care if you like the beat. I don't care if it sounds good. The words aren't good, so you're not listening to it. I didn't understand it. I think sometimes when I was younger, I deceived myself thinking all I'm bringing in is the, is the melody. I'm just bringing in the music. The lyrics have no effect on me at all, but they do. The things that we consume, we become those things. The things that we hear verbally, audibly, we repeat those things. They become a part of our vocabulary. I remember one summer I was working for a factory that uh, it was in, this was up in Minnesota where I'm from, Owatonna, Minnesota. The factory is called Viracon, and they, they fabricate glass. And I worked in the box shop. We made the giant crates that they shipped, these huge pieces of glass. They did the World Trade Center. They, they did uh, huge, huge glass. They fabricated for all over the country. And this, this company received federal uh, grants and federal uh, funding to hire ex-felons, uh, and so, um, which was, it was a great thing. It gave a second chance, and many of these guys were just awesome guys who'd made a mistake, but you can imagine the kind of language that was used in an environment like that. Never in my life had I been tempted to curse, and after three months of doing five days a week, 12-hour shifts, I stubbed my toe, some of the words that were the first to come to mind you wouldn't imagine. The things that we consume, they become a part of us. So the question is, what are you consuming? What do you look at? What do you listen to? What kind of television program do you watch? What kind of TV do you watch? What radio stations do you listen to? What media are you bringing into your life? What books are you reading? 
What is it that you're consuming? Because those are the things that you will become. Now, I am, uh, uh, nutrition and fitness is a passion of mine. So I pay very close attention to both of those worlds. I pay very close attention to the nutrition world. And I, I will watch hours of lectures and debates and listen to podcasts of various nutritionists arguing for this or that. And they ha- they're, they're, if you pay any attention, there are all kinds of philosophies. So many, some say you should eat all fat, the ketogenic diet. You remember back when it was the Atkins diet. There are so many philosophies of nutrition. And the one thing that I'm seeing across the board as I listen to these guys is that the things that are good for us, and they wouldn't put it in these terms, they would say natural foods, whole foods, foods that are organic. But what they're saying is the foods God makes. The things God makes. God makes fruit. God makes vegetables. God makes beef. God makes salmon. God makes barley. And he makes the bacterial cultures that leaven the barley and make it digestible in our systems. God makes all of these things. And if we consume the things that God makes, we are a healthier person. It's just kind of true across the board. It depend, they're they're going to vary on how they divvy things up calorically, but across the board, that is true. And I, I find it to be true that this is also true of our souls. Paul said not to let anyone take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit through human cunning. There, there are ideas that just, they're just in the air that we breathe. This is why Paul said to the Ephesian Christians that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It's just, it's just there. You can just breathe it in. These ideas are all over the place. So those ideas are out there, and you can feed your soul with them. Become very sick. What are you feeding your soul Are you feeding your soul the things that God made for it to eat? Are you eating the things that God would say are true food? It is my conviction, and it is my central thesis, not just for this message, but the thesis by which I order my entire life, that man needs to be on a steady diet of Genesis to revelation we have to consume these words and the more we consume the hungrier we become for them it seemed that most of my life I was in a constant spiritual fast I take my food set it on a shelf I'll eat you again next Sunday and I wasn't a very healthy person we must consume the words of the living God, for they are our food. Now, I have four points that I want to make uh, regarding this. And the first one is that consuming Scripture means life. The longer I live, and I'm sure y'all know this as well, you've experienced it, I'm sure, there is so much more to life than having a beating heart having air in your lungs, having a healthy metabolic system. 
there are times where physiologically I felt amazing and could run for miles and miles and miles and not get tired. And on the inside was not doing so good. There's so much more to life than just the body. This is why Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Seek first the kingdom of God. What comes first is God's kingdom. And the reason why is because these things are our lives. This is the essence of a man, not his biology, but his spirituality. And what it is that is happening on the inside of that man, consuming the Holy Scriptures means life. I want to show you a scripture our Lord and Savior is going to be the primary character here. And I'm going to challenge our, our initial uh, interpretation of this passage is to assume this is Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What was the first temptation? Take these stones, turn them into bread. And we, we just assumed the temptation was to eat. But... I think there's a big hole in that. Number one, there's nothing wrong with eating. Eating food is not a it's not a it's not wrong to eat. Number two, the duration of Jesus' fast was already completed. The text doesn't say Jesus set out to fast for 40 days and then Satan came on day three and said, You got 37 days left in this commitment that you made and aren't you hungry don't you think you should eat no this is what the text says after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry and the tempter came and said to him if you're the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread but he answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. He's not saying there's anything wrong. He, that's why he puts the word alone there. It doesn't say man shouldn't live by bread. He's saying that is not the essence of my life. There is so much more than that. The thing that man ought to, the thing that man needs to live by is every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is where Jesus found his life. The 40-day fast was over. Jesus is about to eat. 40 days, 40 nights, he'd done it. He's going to eat food now. There's nothing wrong with eating food. Jesus is about to eat food. So what was the essential temptation from the enemy? If it wasn't caloric, what was the, the essential temptation of Satan? And it comes through in a very small word at the very beginning of Satan's temptation. Do you see that little bitty two-letter word that is a conditional particle? If. If what? If you are the Son of God, this alone is an absolute. You are the Son of God. Where had that been said? Just before this moment, 
Jesus had gone to John the Baptist, and he said, I need to be baptized by you. And John said, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. I'm not even worthy to take off your sandals. Jesus said, let it be so for now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And upon the obedience of Jesus, going down into the waters, being immersed in baptism, when he came up out of the waters, something happened. The heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus. There was access to the Father, and he received the Holy Spirit. Same thing happens when we're baptized. But in this moment, God declared something which was absolutely and centrally true, and it would be true to everything that fired Jesus for the remainder of his life, everything that would move him on and propel him in his ministry. And it was the statement from God the Father that this is my beloved son. Some of the other gospels say it more, they say it in first, uh, just a direct, you, you are, so sec, second person, you are my son. Matthew said that God said, this is my beloved son. God said it. It came from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is about to eat and Satan comes and what is the temptation of Satan? It's to get Jesus to doubt the word of God for bread. So Jesus says, my life does not consist of those calories. I'm going to consume them soon enough. See, the angels would come soon, and they were going to comfort Jesus, and I'm sure nourish Jesus, and give the things that Jesus needed. But he said, my life isn't consisting of bread I will not put God to the test because I live by what he says. Jesus' nourishment was every word from the mouth of God. God said, you are my son, and there need not be a miracle to prove it. God said it, and therefore it was true. And what this tells us is that Jesus, during those 40 days in the wilderness, was being sustained by God's word. How do you go 40 days without, have you ever tried to go any length of time without food? I did six days once. Practically after three hours of not eating, all I could think about was food. All of a sudden, Arby's commercials are coming on and that's all that you see. You hear it everywhere. You're attuned to it. Your stomach is growling. By day three, I mean, by day through day two, it's almost, it seemed impossible to me. Jesus had gone 40 days. How do you do that? And the thing that I've come to know is that when your spirit is attuned to God and when you're feasting on God and your inner man is right and there's no conflict in here, you you don't need the physical things to the degree that you otherwise would if you lacked the central things, if you lacked the things on the inside of the man. You can go so much farther and do so much more, even physically, when the spirit is in a right place. And the reason why is because that's where we find our life. Consuming the words of God means life. Consume these words and you will become a living being. My second point this morning is that a diet of Scripture is man's most basic need. Now, 
if you are looking, I put italics on the word most because I want it to be emphasized that a diet of Scripture isn't one of man's basic needs. It isn't a basic need. It is at the very bottom. It is the most fundamental. It is the most central. It is the thing that you need before you need life itself. It is the very bottom. And I know that saying that may cause Maslow to turn over in his grave. Y'all remember the hierarchy of needs put out by Abraham Maslow. And what were the things that he said that were at the very bottom? And what were the things that he said that were at the very top? The somewhat transcendent things, the higher things, the, the greatest attainment of man was at the very top. And the bottom, he said, is food, water. This is ground level. And his argument and his hypothesis was, you don't even care about the things in the ascending tiers until you've met the bottom layer. All through the Bible, I find that to be false. There's a need that goes before it. And there is a need that runs far deeper than bread and water and physical sustenance. And I want to show you this. David was in the wilderness of Judah. In a moment, we're going to look at Psalm 63. The wilderness of Judah, if you've ever been there, it is a dry and barren and weary land. It has a beauty in its own right. I've been there and I enjoyed it. But I didn't go there for drink. And I didn't go there for food. I went there to see some things that some people of God have been through. It's a desert. And David was there. And in Psalm 63, David relays how he is running from his enemies. His life is being threatened. He relays how he is awake through the night. He uses the term watches through the watches of the night. And I'm paying attention that he didn't say I was awake for a watch of the night. I was awake for a couple. He uses plural. I'm awake through the watches of the night. I'm not sleeping at night. He's on the run from enemies. He's lacking sleep. He's in a barren land, lacking food and lacking water. As far as I'm concerned, David is lacking in all of the bottom tier on Maslow's pyramid. And yet, this is what he says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek water. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul, what's the real thirsty thing? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh is not just soul. You think, well, he's just talking about his soul there. Notice there's soul, here's flesh. He says both. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for what? Does my flesh faint for steak? No, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Here's, when that's your conclusion, when your conclusion is that the real need at my very center is Almighty God, 
then what you'll do is you'll do what he does here. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. You say, no, you can't. If you're a student of 20th century psychology, you say, don't even worry about spiritual stuff until you've gotten a drink of water, until you've fed your belly. Don't even think about those things until you've done those prior things. That's not what he says. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Why would you do that? Why would you put this before food, calories, water, safety, sleep? Why does it go before any of those things? And he says, because your steadfast love is better than life. It's the best thing. If that's in order, so many other things can be out of place. And I'm profoundly filled up. The steadfast love of God is better than life. The great men and women of faith through the ages have all known this to be true. Jesus knew it. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. David knew it. I'm in a dry and weary land on the run from enemies, lacking sleep, and the thing I'm pursuing is my relationship with God because your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you, and I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Notice what he says. When you do that, here's what he says. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I imagine that at this time he was very hungry. And he's saying, feasting on the things of God fills my soul like a plate of rice and beans and some kind of steak, fat, rich food. Here's where his mind was through the watches of the night. I remember you. That's where his mind was. Where was he going in his mind? He's thinking of God and the things of God. He was thinking of Scripture. This is a Psalm of David. So so is Psalm 119. Psalm 119, he says, I think of your word all through the night. I meditate on it. I dwell on your promises. I dwell on your law. It's good. There was something there that he saw that we sometimes can't see. And I think it's because he'd been consuming it for a time and he came to know exactly what it did on the inside of him when he trusted in God and put it down. I remember you on my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Number three, we need to eat all of it. That's why I said it's Genesis to Revelation. It's not just Matthew to Revelation. It's not just some parts of Matthew and some parts of Luke and some parts of Romans and some parts of James. We need to eat all of it from the beginning to the end. We've got to consume it. I, uh, Miranda and I are... We're in the thick of our uh, child rearing. We decided we wanted to have all our kids right around the same time, and so we've, we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And, you know, prior to them, I remember when mealtime used to be fun. <laughs> we, I'm telling you, now, 
I say that, I still enjoy family mealtime. We, we have it every single night together. We're, we very much believe in it. And yet, mealtime's a battle. Every single night. It does not matter what you're, you're serving them, their favorite food they've ever eaten in their life. It was just yesterday, and now today they hate it. And you give them their plate of food, and you say, eat your food. Well, can I just eat this part? No, eat all of it. Eat every bit of it. If you put french fries and green beans on a plate, which will they eat? The french fries. Eden, for her birthday, she, she's two. She just started talking. We said, what do you want to eat? And she said, french fry. <laughs> she, she loves those french fries. That's what a kid, they'll eat the french fries and, and not the green beans. They'll take the brownie and throw the pork chop under the table to the dog. Recently, we were sitting at the table and we had a plate of food and, or that one of our children had a plate of food I won't say which one it was and it was a moment ago it was filled and it was clean now clean plate but it was propped at a very steep angle so I, I said well I see there's nothing on your plate what's under your plate and it, this, was a, this was an Adam and Eve fig leaf situation this child thought they were going to get away with this, and it was the most obvious thing in the world to a parent. See, we, as mothers and fathers, I know you're, you're in that too. You do, kid, I don't know what it is. Kids don't have good taste. They just don't. They come out. I, we gave, recently I made filet mignons, which I think is the greatest cut of meat that exists on the planet. And I gave a bite to Judah, and he said, mmm, this tastes like a hot dog. And... <laughs> So I said, well, that's why you're eating a hot dog and I'm eating the steak because kids just don't have good taste yet. But, but look, a, a good father, what's a good father going to do? Is he going to say, okay, don't eat the green beans. Sure, throw the pork chop. Here's more chips. Here's another brownie. Is he going to do that? No, he's going to say, you're going to eat all of it. And it's not because he wants to be mean. It's because he knows you can't live long. You certainly can't have quality of life for long when you're consuming junk, right? Well, God says exactly the same thing. And I want you to see this. I think this is one of the coolest scriptures in the Bible. I, I've got a lot of scriptures that I'm gonna say is one of the coolest. I love it all, but last week, remember, we had another image from Ezekiel. And it was the dry bones in the valley and the word of God coming in them and making them stand on their feet giving them breath last week was the word of God our breath this week it's the word of God our food and I don't think you're going to miss the imagery here God came to Ezekiel he says son of man hear what I say to you be not rebellious like that rebellious house what was their rebellion look at what he says and mothers fathers tell me you've not said exactly this open your mouth and eat what I give you God said it. See, sometimes we've, we've grown up and we've said, I now eat the Brussels sprouts. Maybe you even prefer them. But Almighty God comes to us with a different plate and a different kind of food. And he says the same thing. And so often we're just like those little children. So God says, here's my food. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, what was the meal? I looked, and behold, 
a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. I'm just going to mark that. It had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. God's saying, Ezekiel, eat what I give you. There's words on the front of this, and there's also words on the back. Don't skip to the back. Eat the words on the front as well. There are some amazing words in Ezekiel that readily I hear them and I think, that's awesome. I want that. And there are other words in Ezekiel that don't strike me the same way. So God says, here's a plate. Front and back. Eat all of it. And he said to me, son of man, here he says it even clearer, eat whatever you find here. I'm just going to underline whatever. Eat whatever you find here. Don't pick and choose. Don't say, but I don't like that part. Do I have to eat this part? Can I take this part here and put it over here? Doesn't this part belong to the dogs? Can I take this and say I ate it and hide it under a plate? No, eat all of it. Eat every single bit of it. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat and he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and notice this, fill your stomach with it. Don't just eat enough. Sometimes I think, I think kids are living on um, sunshine and uh, a miracle from God because they, don't, they eat like birds. I, I set them down. I think, did you eat anything? He says, fill your belly with it. Eat all of it. And what were the contents of this meal? Down in verse 10, he spread it before me. It had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. God, why are you going to such lengths to tell me to eat my whole plate? because there's words of lamentation and mourning and woe in it. And on first glance, you're going to look at those words and you're going to say, I don't want those words. And I'll tell you this, the enemy is crafty. And I see him hard at work in this world to say to you, just lost my connection, see if I can get it back. Well, if we don't, we'll just use our imaginations together. The enemy is hard at work in this world to say to you, eat the promises. Eat some of this stuff. Eat, eat the words that nobody's going to have a problem with. That's what he's going to say. Consume the words that, look, they're going to make you feel good. They look good. Eat those words. Consume those words. Well, what does God say? Eat all of it. And the thing that I've found in my life, because there have been times where words came along and those words hit me like a dagger. And I have, I may have been living in a moment of rebellion 
Or maybe I was denying something I knew to be true, but I was suppressing it in my own heart, and I was saying, I I don't want those words, certainly not those words. Don't make me change this habit. Don't make me do that. that. That call is too big. That cost is too high. Don't do that. And the thing that I found is exactly what Ezekiel found. And if you could see what was there, it's gone now. The fourth point is every single word is sweet. Just imagine it in your mind. I had a picture of the face of Jesus shaped kind of like honeycomb. Every word is sweet, every single word. And the reason why I'm saying that is because in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it. And we know the contents were those of lamentation and mourning and woe. Did it look good? Did it look tasty? The enemy says, don't eat it. It will be gross. Ezekiel said, then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. There's not a bitter word in this book. Not a single bitter word. There are hard words. There are words you'll have to chew on for a long time. There are words that will cut away parts of your life that you wish you could keep. But one day, and it won't be very long from now, you and I are going to stand before our maker. And we won't care about the frivolous things in those moments. All I'm going to care about is, did I consume God's words? Did I, did I diet myself on the word of God? Did I feast on them? Did I take them down front and back? Lamentation, mourning, woe, promises, rainbows, and the whole thing. Did I bring in every single bit of it? Or did I pick and choose? Every single word is sweet. I imagine one day when we are gathered around the throne And we're going to look back on the call of God over our lives. And we're going to reminisce. And we're going to remember the things in our lives that we did. And the crossroads that we faced. And the things that we gave up. And all of the challenges that came with it. And we're going to rejoice in the glory of God. And taste the sweetness of his word on a whole new level. So in my ministry here. By the grace of God. It is my intention as we go forward to bring to you all the words between these pages every bit of it I can't pick and choose we've got a world that picks and chooses we've got a world that says don't say that part some will be mad I look on Jesus and I look on all the prophets and some of the things they said made some people mad but every single word is sweet And so the idea is, brothers and sisters, feast on these things. And here's how you do it. Chew and swallow. What's that mean? Have you ever told somebody, you heard something, you say, let me chew on that. It means hear it and think about it. Don't just hear it and say, I don't like it, boom, gone. Hear it and chew on it. And once you've chewed on it and you know that it's good, swallow it. What's that mean? It means believe it. Believe the words, chew on them, think on them, believe them, bring them into your life, consume them, and you will be made into the image of God. And the promise 
and many know this to be true, is that you will then bear fruit, namely that of love and joy, which we all want, and peace in your mind, no longer being divided, saying I want this and I want this, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Everyone wants to be that. And you are what you eat. So if we'll consume the words and the diet of the one who is those things, we will become those things. If you have any need, if you've lacked in your Bible study, or if you want to study the Bible more, or if you want to put on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the time. There's an opportunity to let that be known. Won't you please come down while we stand and sing?